I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And it's a real privilege to be able to bring you these conversations, sharing the the excitement, the wisdom, and the, just the sheer kind of passion of people trying to give the children the best possible start in life through their own skills and their own expertise. If you'd like to support the show, please go to educationonfire.com forward slash support, which takes you to my Buy Me A Coffee page where you can make a small donation and also get a shout out on the show. So yeah, go educationonfire.com forward slash support. Thanks very much. Now today I'm talking about the Umbrella Project. They equip kids, parents and educators with positive social and emotional coping skills to help them live confident, healthy and meaningful lives in the face of life's uncertainties and struggles. This is a great starting point, bearing in mind we always know that life has different seasons, various things that happen, and this is all research-based, science-backed, with proven results. Now to talk about this, I'm chatting with CEO of The Umbrella Project, Dr. Jen Forrestal, and she's a naturopathic doctor with a primary focus in paediatric mental health. She has worked extensively with schools, researchers and organisations, developing mental wellness strategies for families facing social, emotional and mental health challenges, and those looking for optimum health and performance. As the founder of The Umbrella Project, Dr. Jen trains medical professionals, educators and parents to proactively assess and develop the skills needed to cope with lives and inevitable challenges. And in her private practice, she supports families in raising resilient, healthy children. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jen Forrestal talking about The Umbrella Project. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. I'm intrigued by our discussion today because there's part of me that kind of has this idea that it's so important to give children the skills they need to live in our modern world. And I also have the flip side of that, which is our modern world is giving them the environment they need to need the skills they need to live in it. So we kind of, sort of have that <laughs> sort of both sides of the coin. But yeah, so thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I love the name of your podcast. It, it always like brings to mind, the, you know, like the, um, the mockingbird kind of, uh, what's that? <laughs> that show, like the girl on fire. Education on Fire, great name. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you. Um, so let's start, first of all, if you had to describe the Umbrella Project uh, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a couple of sentences, what, what's, the, what's the aim of that and, and what's the quickest way of sort of, of getting that across to everybody? Yeah, uh, the, the quickest way I would describe it and how it kind of came to be is that I think we teach stress and coping skills in a way that isn't very accessible for a child's brain. So the umbrella project, the umbrella effect is really about helping everybody see how all the pieces fit together. That life is very much like the weather and sometimes it's going to rain and sometimes it's not. And our coping skills really are like an umbrella 
that each piece is important and forms a layer of protection. So everything at the Umbrella Project centers around that metaphor, understanding how all the pieces fit together, and then proactively building an umbrella of skills so that when life does rain, you have some tools that you're in charge of that you can use. You're not just at the mercy of you know, the weather of life. You're, you're able to see that you have some control over your life and, you know, that internal locus of control. So that's really the umbrella project summarized into, <laughs> into a two Brilliant. minute, two minute synopsis. Um, so take me into, into exactly what you just described there. A lot of what's out there, which is meant to be supportive, isn't very accessible. And, and how have mm. you kind of sort of reframed that in terms of what, of what you believe does work? Well, you know, I think before I built the umbrella project, I spent a lot of time with educators and parents, asking them about what what was missing, what was wrong. And some of them were doing some incredibly complex and important resilience programs. And they really, there was no uptake in the school. The educators weren't, weren't liking it and the students weren't getting it. And it was just so unlike the way that we learn anything else. You know, I think when we learn history, science, religion, we're constantly bringing in stories and we're looking at the world to understand the things that we're trying to learn about. And I found sometimes that that was lacking in the coping skills department. And, and what an important um, subject to, to make sure that we're teaching in ways that kids, educators and parents, everybody can understand. So um, that's really, I think, the basis of of what we're trying to do at the Umbrella Project is just make it accessible, make it something that is really hard to forget. So not only do we use the umbrella metaphor, but in our curriculum, for example, we have tons and tons of stories so that you can show kids, you know, don't take it from me and or from this poster on the wall that growth mindset is important. This is what growth mindset looks like, and this is what it does. And this is why this person was able to accomplish this great thing. It's not something that's impossible for you to achieve. It's You can see underneath the layers or underneath the successes that people have this layer of coping skills. So if you can, I think if you can really show kids um, and parents and everybody how these skills work, then it's much more likely that they're going to actually want to use it. You know, it's gonna connect their emotional brain to the the tangible thing that you're trying to teach them and really hopefully inspire them to want to, to build these skills. And I think for me, you touched on something really important there. We talk a lot here about community and the learning that happens within the sphere that the children actually recognize, you know, whether that's actually within the classroom, within the school, within the sort of community at large. But we do also know, like you said, if the stories are good, if stories are things which they can connect with, then of course they learn because they're brought up on stories. And, and it's just yeah. that kind of, isn't it? It's just that understanding that this is this is your reality at the moment and like I say when you can sort of join all those dots together then it really does open that sort of possibility in a like I say in a way that's not too daunting and very accessible yeah and I think that that's something we we tend to overlook when it comes to teaching coping skills and resilience is that they really are everywhere I mean we don't necessarily need to role play empathy in order to learn it but you know, some of our umbrella project teachers will do is just as kids come in from recess, like, hey, who saw empathy on the playground today? Right? Where is it? It's everywhere. We're constantly using these skills. It's about visibility and uh, kids understanding when they're using it and when people are right and celebrating that culture of of positive coping. Um, I think. 
Yeah, and and I um I've had a few conversations recently about the way children learn sort of from a parental point of view but also that sense yeah. of you know up until school we're we're showing we're explaining we're immersing them in their in their surroundings and yeah. then there's something about going into the system which is about and now we're learning and we kind of sort of forget the mm-hmm. fact that there's been this sort of learning by just being surrounded by life and the way that you're yeah. doing it then becomes very instructional and, and you know, there's a whole other podcast about how that works and mass education and all that kind of thing but I think like you said there, there's a way of kind of combining those two things especially when mm-hmm. they're younger to sort of you know sort of just make that sort of gray area a place where you can sort of come and, and sort of join together in in a, in a sort of mutual understanding of oh yeah I recognize this somewhere internally because this is how I've learned everything so far and it becomes a very much more of a natural process I think exactly yeah I think uh, I think there is an instructional component in that if you don't know what a skill is or what co- what the coping skills are you don't even know when you're using them right so we had um, I think I wrote about this in the book uh, a story of a, a little guy in junior kindergarten who went um, to hockey practice one night after learning about grit was the skill they were talking about that day and, uh, you know, came home and his mom um, shared this on her social media because she was just so amazed by the fact that her child came home after hockey. And she said, you know, how was hockey? And he said, uh, you know what? It was great. I used so much grit. I fell down so many times and I just kept getting back up. And because he learned what that, like in a very formal, traditional learning sense, he learned what grit was. But because of that, he was able to see like, Hockey was more than just falling down a million times and I'm not a good skater. Actually, what I also had was grit. I had to keep getting back up and there's some value in that. And I think learning what the skills are is important, but then looking for them and looking for them in yourself and looking for them in others and continuing to reinforce that layer is how we need to learn coping skills. I always feel a little bit concerned when we have, you know, an eight week program in a school that's intended to teach self-compassion or resilience or grit. And then we just leave it at that, right? I think coping skills need to be embedded in every year, every class. It's always there. We're kind of like marinating in coping skills all the time, right? It's just a matter of seeing them and knowing that that's happening. Yeah, and, and I think that's the key, isn't it? It's, it's relating it to what you're doing and seeing it in, in action, which I think it often reminds me of the the people that get sort of hooked on self-help books. It's like, I've read 20, so therefore I, oh, but I'm still going around the same circles as before until <laughs> you take action and understanding yeah. and put it into your life. It, it is just reading. And like you say, I, I love that analogy of the of the falling down because then, like I say, the association and making it part of yours and understanding and and that growth, I think, mm-hmm. I think is, is fantastic. So we should probably dive a little bit into into your professional background and and you mentioned the book there tell us a little bit about that and and how that journey then took you into creating the project yeah well I you know what I've had a really interesting um journey through my professional career I started as a naturopathic doctor I don't know where do you guys have naturopathic doctors is that a common thing where you it's not something I've heard commonly but I'm I'm sure there. I'm sure there is just not on my on my frame. Yeah. So naturopathic doctors are primary care providers, but we treat primarily with lifestyle interventions, nutrition, supplements, exercise, sleep, like all those kind of foundational layers. So one of the principles in naturopathic medicine is to get ahead of. We don't just wait for somebody to come in with cancer. We teach them all the different things they can do before. 
they get cancer to hopefully prevent that, right? We're, we're always looking at sort of the prevention side as well as treating um, health conditions. And I feel like in mental health, something that we've really uh, missed and how the Umbrella Projects came to be was that it feels sometimes like we're just waiting for something to go wrong in kids' lives. And then we're trying to clean up the pieces or help them through that instead of really acknowledging every single child will face challenges. I don't know any adults who've made it through life without some, you know, some challenges <laughs> along the way. That's just not the way it is. So if we really agree that 100% of the kids in every single classroom, my kids, I don't know, um, you know, every, every child will face challenges. So the idea of preparing them in advance for those challenges and kind of getting ahead of challenges and giving them the skills that might help them when that thing happens, tell a different story about what that challenge means, I think we can make a huge difference in mental health. So naturopathic medicine really prepared me to um, create the Umbrella Project, which started as a curriculum in schools um, and is still going strong there. But then, of course, I think developing coping skills is not just about one stakeholder in the child's lives. We're never going to do it. I hear a lot of conversations with parents and educators. It's the parent's job. No, it's the educator's job. No, whose <laughs> job is this? What, like somebody, the job is not getting done. And somehow we feel like it's, you know, somebody else's job other than our own. And ultimately, I think it's everybody's job. You know, we need to be teaching these skills in schools. Parents need to know what those skills are too and be reinforcing them at home in the way that they're parenting or what they're noticing in their child and how they're telling, tying their kids to their strengths. So what started as a career in naturopathic medicine evolved into a curriculum for schools to try to get ahead of some of the mental health challenges that I was seeing in my practice, which then became a book for parents to help them understand what their piece is too. So that I think if we can all understand the fundamental truth that our kids are going to struggle Life is going to deal them a hand and not all of those hands, you know, not all the cards are going to be good cards and we, but we can do something about it. We can, we can prepare them. That's sort of my ultimate mission and my purpose, I think, in, in my professional career and in life is to do a better job of preparing the next generation of kids to deal with whatever they're going to have to deal with along the way and to make, you know, huge strides, I think, in the world will require all of these foundational skills. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think it's an, an amazing thing, and I'm curious about the idea that we touched on before about sort of setting these um, systems up, having the tools early on, is a is a preventative kind of, kind of idea. So, uh, just as an example, you know, we like I say every person has a different situation, and and all manner of things happen, and some things are truly devastating and and you need real understanding and and a skill set and support to get through but if we take sort of um a generalized idea of say something like exam stress or the fact that things that a lot of people seem to be experiencing mm -hmm. do you believe that we can we can reduce that literally across the board by putting some of these things in in place earlier just just to sort of help more people than not because I know everyone's individual and some people it doesn't seem to affect some people it really affects and, and there's something in some people sort of in that middle ground but it's it seems to me that having that perspective and those skills earlier on is, is going to make more of a difference to, to the general sort of children and, and their population going through that sort of traditional system as it were mm -hmm. I really do think that 
you can take a person from where they are. And of course, some of us are genetically set up to have a heightened stress response. And some of us are, and from our early childhood experiences, we're all coming to the table at, at a different level of response to a stressor like that. But I do think that by adding and learning about these skills and, and practicing them, we can help people come down the path from where they are. I don't know that we can get everybody to zero. <laughs> and that's just not how, I don't, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. But what each of the coping skills does is it adds a different frame to the way that you're looking at the world. So if you think about what a growth mindset does, actually, it takes the story of, I'm not good at math, and turns it into math is something that takes hard work and effort, but over time I can get better at math, right? And, and that fundamentally changes the way that a child might view an exam stress. Or if you think about what gratitude does, it changes the story from I don't have enough to, you know, I, I have, I see what I have instead of I see what I don't have. You know, each skill is very, and empathy the same, you know, each skill changes the story. And I, I do believe that we're not what happens to us in life. We're the story that we tell ourselves about what that thing means. So we're, we're constantly taking meaning from our experiences, you know, from failing an exam. What does it mean? Does it mean that I should drop out of university and I'm, I'm never destined to succeed? Or does it mean I didn't study hard enough or that subject is really hard for me? Or you know, I'm putting in my, there's a million different stories from each experience. And I think what these coping skills can help kids do very, very early is create a story that serves them, a story that allows them to move through that challenge. And so I really fundamentally do think learning about these skills can change every single child's experience and help them before even something happens, create a different story about what that's going to mean. So we're not trying to undo a story that's already, you know, damaged them. We're helping them to create a new story in their mind before that thing even happens of what it means when something goes wrong. And then on, you know, on that grander scale of like really hard things, those aren't meant to be dealt with alone. You know, an umbrella of coping skills helps you be a person who can support somebody and be a community. If you imagine like a community of people with strong umbrellas, everybody gets to take a turn being the person who needs some extra help and support. And when they, you know, when they can, they can open back up their umbrella and be a contributing part of that community again. And I think that's ultimately how humans get through the most difficult things as we come together. We don't do it alone with our one little umbrella. That's not the expectation, right? In a monsoon, we come together and we support the people who need and a strong umbrella of coping skills helps you to be a strong support. And it really seems to me that or sort of my, my sort of immediate takeaway from all of that is what we're doing is we're putting the child at the heart of everything that's happening in terms of the different coping skills in that way. Because I think sometimes from sort of my experience, it's kind of, well, we've got school and we've got a program and it's about the academics and then we're sort of putting everything else kind of on top of that. But like I say, when you're talking about empathy and you're talking about all those things as part of you, 
and then how that relates to what you might do at school or how you interact mm-hmm. somewhere or, or things that are happening then I think that sort of say starting from the child itself and then it's spilling out into different areas of your life I think is really key I think because so many children spend so much time at school you sort of get bombarded with with all the things which are school related and, and it, it's I think mm-hmm. you can understand why it's hard I think sometimes for children to sort of lose themselves a little bit in that because you're hearing all myri- a whole myriad of different things coming in so everything which kind of takes you back to yourself and like I say a, a curriculum or or an understanding of, of you're at the center of everything that you can then deal with that that just gives everybody a sense of of power and understanding which mm. you can then see how everyone can then flourish like I say or if indeed they, they they need the support they not only do they maybe have the skills already but like you say they know where they can find what they need in any given time mm-hmm. yeah I mean <laughs> I think uh, it's critical for us to think about these skills as I often so I have three kids, you know, and I'm sure you can imagine after the third child, I had to go to the physio to really like fix my core because it does a number on your core when you have sequential kids. And as I was lying there working with the physiotherapist on all the different layers of your core muscles, I was like, this is exactly what coping skills are. They're like the foundational core through which everything else becomes easier. So if I go to lift something up, if I engage my core, well, now suddenly it's easier for me to do that. I don't just need my bicep. I need my core because I'm reaching and I'm less likely to get hurt by that. Same with academics. I think about it like that, like coping skills, all these skills are like core muscles. So when you go to do math, if you can engage your cognitive flexibility, your growth mindset, you're, you're more likely to succeed successfully in whatever other thing comes across your path. And I think it's another way to think about, as you mentioned, like we teach academics and then kind of floating on the top is this, um, these other things that we think of. But I, I think about it more like that foundation, like every child should know that this is the core. It's the core of learning. It's the core of successful relationships. It's the core of happiness and fulfillment. And, you know, I think that's, a different way for kids to think about what they can control and what they can't right that that sort of foundation yeah it's so important and it just reminds me of some conversations i've had about some children struggling at school because actually what they need is um human connection they need food they need rest because their home life is such that you know school is their safety net you know or it's a place where they can come together mm-hmm. um and and I think what what we're talking about now is 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 part of all of that. You know, it's just something which we haven't traditionally thought of is as as important as that, of that foundation. But we mm. all know inherently it is. But both probably from a child, but certainly as we go into adulthood, and then we look back and go, if only I'd known, understood, like I say, been able to put those real life examples into context based on those those skills and understanding, then then our perspective would be very different, and, and maybe our our adult life would certainly be different too. Hmm. Yep. Yep. I I look back at my own childhood, and and there are some of those skills that just I think we just got the coping skills that are um, you know were presented to us based on the challenges mm-hmm. we had, but we nobody really got a thoughtful well-rounded set of coping skills i think in our generation growing up because it just wasn't talked about right so maybe i i got a lot of empathy because of the way my parents were and you know their skills that got really strong but other ones that are were very very weak when i got to adulthood autonomy like that was a skill for me that was so difficult for me to work on 
as an adult because nobody really noticed that that was never getting practiced for me ever. And so, um, yeah, I think things can be very different if you really focus on on building these skills. And, you know, I don't I think I don't know what you notice in in your line of work and in education. But to me, it seems like kids have a baseline level of rain already in their lives continuously that maybe we didn't have. Like I think about, um, you know, I have a 15 year old daughter and the amount of information that she gets from social media, just about who she should be, the amount of FOMO and fear of missing out from, cause she knows what her friends are doing cause she can see the pictures if she's not invited. Like it's like this micro level of rain constantly in their lives that we need to understand is there as as parents and as educators and take into account when we're helping them build like a strong layer of protection against that yeah absolutely and and we also sometimes have it from the we try and talk about it from the other side of the coin as well in as much as so many i think a lot of children or certainly when they're very young can you you know you have an innate sense of survival you have an innate sense of who you are and this world that's just your oyster and often like say the experiences or life or whatever starts to sort of dampen that down a little bit and and and, you know what we're talking about today is giving you i think sometimes the skills that almost like well I guess it's exactly the idea of the umbrella or a Mac. It's that kind of, I'm not going to let all that get into the, the heart of who I am, knowing mm-hmm. who I am already. You know, it's, it's that kind of, yeah. sort of bat, bat, bat that sort of life off, as it were, and 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 keep to your core and, and your understanding. And I think I think that I, find, I find that fascinating sometimes. I sort of, sort of try and overthink those things. Think, no, actually, you know, the kids, uh, you've, you, you have got this and you do understand. And sometimes the conversations are that kind of, yeah, I thought that was the case, but I just wasn't quite, sure or, or whatever it's like there yeah, no I, you know we believe you we trust you you know you have what you need and 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 like you said society is so different than when we were children now and as much as i mean i wouldn't have been having this conversation with with an adult in my age but would have been so incredibly important and <laughs> uh, and um and so I, yeah I, I think it is fascinating the way that it's changed but also the way we can open these things up and and you sort of mentioned there in terms of having the curriculum and being taught in schools but how mm-hmm. do you affect people beyond that in terms of, of how people can sort of get access to it and, and actually sort of bring it in if it happens to not be in their school or they want to get involved sort of uh, I, I guess that's that's where the book starts from in terms of giving that sort of information yeah yeah I mean the book was a walks through kind of the 10 big ideas that we know to be true about um how we cope with the world and, you know, the base principles, and then some really easy steps and ways to start to build those skills into your classroom, into your, I mean, it's a parenting book, but anybody who works with children knows that parenting, teaching, like they're not that, they're not that far removed. We have to do the same thing. We have this common center, which is the child, don't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We have a child, we have some fundamental principles and truths that we know we're trying to work with. And then there's some easy strategies to um, to help work towards that. I mean, I think about parenting and teaching as a, a long game. Like I think we, we sell ourselves very short when we think about behavior modification and just changing, uh, a, you know, a, a behavior and succeeding at that as the goal of what we're doing. You know, we're, we're really trying to 
do that in the context of looking at the big picture and saying like, is the strategy that I'm using to do that helping the child in the future? So I think one of the ways that comes up often is, you know, maybe we'll separate two kids in two different classrooms because they don't get along. And while that might be necessary in 10% of the cases, I also think being in a classroom with somebody who is difficult for you, having difficult people around you helps you build skills to deal with difficult people. And there's like basically zero chance that that's the last time that's going to happen to your child, that they're in a classroom with somebody who they don't get along with or who they have a hard time with. So is there another way that we could think about that problem where we're helping kids develop the skills that they need to deal with difficult people rather than just immediately getting rid of the problem. Because the next time it comes up, we haven't left them any better prepared for that challenge. So I think, you know, fundamentally reading The Umbrella Effect helps to equip you with the the vision of that um, and the different principles and ways you can um, you can work on building umbrellas of coping skills. And then, you know, we have online parenting courses. We have all sorts of different, uh, the blog is filled with tips of all the different skills um, and different ways you can build it. So there's tons of ways that you can learn more about how to do this. And and I think from a child's point of view, um, it just reminds me of, um, like you said, about the the, the immediate here and now, you know, I remember when it's sort of, you know, our kids would only eat vegetables and then the next day they'd only eat fruit and then they'd only eat dairy and then they'd only eat meat or something you're like but they're not having a balanced diet and then as soon as someone said to us it's that kind of what have they eaten over a week and you're like they've eaten all the food groups they've not overindulged in anything they've self-regulated and got what they've needed at the right time as they Mm -hmm. needed it and of course like say that changes as they get older maybe but i think fundamentally that's the way it works and I, and, I, and it just struck me then that sort of from an, an emotional sense as well you know like you say these different challenges come into your life at different times you know sometimes it might be a very sort of pointed that like say there's someone else in your classroom which is something which is really sort of peaking your emotions and then there might be a time when it's quite fallow and it's all relatively easy going and mm-hmm. and as over the course of like say a semester or a year you're probably getting all the skills and all the understanding that you need as you're growing at the right time for you and and like Mm. I say it's very easy as a parent and I think probably as an educator as well to get into the the here and now what's happened in the last hour or in the last half a day but over the course of a a year or so you look back and go wow look what we've learned both you know academically emotionally um, artistically whatever it happens to be and then you start to think oh right yes we're we're really moving on but I think having that sort yeah. overarching longevity view is something which can be quite hard for all of us that were involved like I say when everything is kind of very much the here and now especially when it's there's a pointed point to to be to be for involved sure. in. I think uh so that's uh, the another way you can learn about the um, umbrella effect and the umbrella project is we have an assessment tool that helps you sit down either sit down with your child and do it or for yourself I mean I think you never stop learning and growing and building coping skills so this is really for everyone it's not just for kids but having that bigger picture to really understand, okay, my child's life is really helping. I can see they're like great at autonomy and they're great at empathy, but self-compassion seems to be their stumbling block every time, you know, and, and our assessment umbrella assessment helps you see each skill and where your child is at with each of them. So you can start to notice what they might be getting from the world as it presents itself through the year and all the ups and downs and what might be missing or what might be the skill that's really holding them back. 
when I, yeah. uh, I work with a lot of educators and um, one thing we find with adults is that the missing skill for mo or the lowest skill for most people in the umbrella assessment is self-compassion. Something we didn't really talk about, I guess, in the eighties and nineties when I was growing up. And, um, but that is like a fundamental skill that if you don't have it, you're just continuously adding insult to injury. So not only is the world dealing you, you know, a tough hand, but also you're kind of kicking yourself when you're down. If you're, if you don't have self-compassion, right? You're just kind of being mean to yourself and adding a layer of, of stress to the already stressful situation. So I think like that's a, an example of something you might not even know is happening to you or your child, unless you take the time to kind of zoom out on that big picture and say, okay, life as it is now, what, what has my child had a chance to really start to dive into. And I always recommend, and it's in the book too, that when you notice what those strong skills are, you point them out as much as you can to your kids. And like, you're very empathetic. That's amazing. I really like how you, you know, do this every time this happens and you're starting to be specific and, and point out the skills and also noticing like self-compassion is your lowest skill. Let's put a little time and energy into building that skill too. And I'll often have parents, you know, do the umbrella assessment as well and put it on the fridge and find their weakest skill and tell, talk to their kids about how they're working on it too, how we're all just slowly trying to grow this, this tool for ourselves. Yeah, so important. And, and I think that, you know, you hear people talking about, you know, what, what would you say, do or advise your best friend if they were in your position? Mm -hmm. And then what are you doing for yourself? And, and there's a very marked difference very often, like I say, in terms of that self-compassion, in, in terms of what you're prepared to do for yourself, or even acknowledge, let alone what you'd obviously do for somebody else. Um, and I think, in, in, interestingly, on, on the sort of the assessment tool front is, it's, it needs something like that, doesn't it, to kind of give you that space, time and focus to kind of, all oh, right, now I've got a framework to help me do this, because we could all say, mm -hmm. just take a bit of time or a bit of um, self-reflection. But it's you, you kind of need that tool or, or that way of kind of working through it to kind of give you the information and the structure, I guess, sometimes to get the most out of it. Yeah. And I think it's so helpful, no matter what state your child or you are in at the moment, because when things are really calm, it tends to, there tends to be a feeling from the parenting perspective, like I don't need to do anything. Everything's fine. Nothing, you know, my child's not under a lot of stress. So great. Right. But we have to kind of remember that that's not a forever thing either <laughs> eventually, you know, and, and coping skills are skills. So you have to practice them in order for them to get strong. So yeah. even when things are calm, that's the perfect time to notice what some of the weaknesses might be in your child's umbrella and start to practice them and build them at home. And likewise, when your child's under a lot of stress, it's easy, or when something's going wrong, it's easy to just want to quickly fix that in whatever way you can, maybe by opening up your big parenting umbrella and, you know, solving the problem for your child or whatever, however, just to make that thing go away. But also nuancing out like, why? Why is this causing? Why is my child having a massive meltdown at soccer today? because they didn't score a goal? Is it is it because they don't have enough self-compassion or is it because of their growth mindset or is it because of grit? Like what what is the skill that's causing them so much grief? Because this is not the only time that this is going to happen to my child. This is not a one-off either, right? And if we can notice, oh, okay, it's because 
you know, they don't have a growth mindset and they, they really do feel like they're good or they're not good and everything is evidence one way or the other. Okay, well, what can we do about that, right? How can we help them build the skill through this stress in order so that the next time is a little bit easier rather than yeah. just solving the problem for them? You know, getting in the car and saying, you're great at soccer, let's go get ice cream. And, you know, it was it was the goalie's fault. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> or it was the it was the ref's fault, right? It wasn't yeah. you. Yeah. Let's notice like why why is that happening to this child? Why are they having such a hard time? And then what's the skill that we could we could give them that would make a difference in their life? And it and it makes such a the, the timing aspect I, I find really fascinating because you're absolutely right. I mean, it, I guess it's ultimately what you're doing because you're giving children and, and parents the skills they need at a time when they can take it in to then apply, hopefully, mm -hmm. like say, when these things come up, you know, yeah. um, rather than trying to fix an immediate problem. And it's, I was, it reminds me a little bit of that sort of in the heat of battle, especially we talked about having teenagers, you know, when, when everything's running high actually it's once everything's calmed down again and you can have that conversation in a different environment you can sort of pick through all those sorts of things and have a proper conversation mm -hmm. about it and um and and i think the time and the space and the the situation is so key in in both both sides of, of that in terms of like I say preempting anything but also when you're in the heat of battle sometimes as it may well feel when when they're really struggling that ability just to be able to kind of okay what is it that you need and what do i need at this particular moment when you know you need a bit of space you need that kind of you know self-reflection you need that bit of self-care just to calm down and then the conversation and the expansion like I say with the skills and the tools so that next time it might look a little bit different or certainly the understanding can be a little bit different which of course you're not going to take like I say the, the is, is you're walking off the field having not scored or the refs giving you some you know bit of, uh, <laughs> something which you're not actually going to be wanting <laughs> yeah well I mean and it it does it changes my parenting for sure I have a, a 15 year old and as I mentioned and that's not a very high self-compassion time of life like I I, it's hard to watch your kids journey through that difficult teenage transition. And I was saying to my husband the other day, the things that I, I love being a parent of a teenager, but the thing, the one thing that I don't like is the things that you can tell actually make them hate themselves, you know, and that's like that self-compassion piece. <clears throat> Teenagers are, actually I think like grade seven to nine or grade seven to 10 is like the lowest self-compassion trough because everybody's just trying to create an identity a lot of times that's on the back of other people um, and, a, and a sense of well-being. But what I've taken from that as a parent and something that I use often with my daughter is just inserting self-care, as you mentioned. Self-care is such an interesting way to just give your, your body some love, but it works for teenagers because they don't have to sit down, they don't have to reflect on like, oh, what would I tell a friend? And, you know, it, it's more like, <clears throat> you're feeling terrible. I know it's because you're absolutely hating on yourself right now and you're being so hard on yourself. What if you just, you know, had a bath and, you know, put some whatever, put some bubbles in or whatever your thing is, right? Or what if you just took some time to give your body some love, you know, on a more physical, on a more physical level of taking care of yourself? And, because I know that self-compassion is the thing that's failing her at that moment. I can counter that with something that's very self-compassion based, but I can adapt to the teenage brain, right? Of what she yeah. wants to do. So I do find it's an extremely helpful way to 
to parent through even the difficult the difficult times yeah love that i can relate to that totally i think that's such such great advice yeah um now is there anything valuable from your school experience or maybe a teacher that you remember um that strikes you that you'd like to share and, and also i'm interested how is that positively or negatively kind of enhanced or, or supported sort of your work now in terms of, of that understanding mm-hmm. you know i i don't want to speak specifically to a teacher because i had some great teachers along the way um but one thing that i found always helpful in every class and every educational setting that i ever found myself in was some laughter and a sense of humor in a teacher and somebody who was willing to play a little bit with the classroom because I think, and it makes sense when you look at the research of what laughter and joy and a positive mindset bring, it it increases cognitive flexibility. It helps us see more solutions to problems, right? It, it really does. It improves our ability to be empathetic. It sets the tone for those that classroom to be a little kinder to each other. There's so much that a sense of humor in a teacher or even the odd, I mean, not everybody has a great sense of humor, but trying to bring some joy and laughter into the classroom setting, I think is such a powerful academic tool and and can really engage kids in learning um, and definitely did for me. Like I know the classes that I had teachers that were willing to be a little bit funny. I always loved those classes, didn't matter the subject. It was just something that that drew me to those classes, those subjects that I loved. Yeah, I really love that. Really, 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 you can, you know, so obvious in so many ways, but I'm sure, like I say, as with many of these things, it's not necessarily on the forefront of people's mind when they're setting up their environment or how they're coming. How they yeah, coming and I don't know, it's a parenting tool too, right? Like I, when you're in a negative state of mind, you tend to match memories that are, um, that match that state of mind. So something you can do for your kids if you're a parent is try to do something funny in the morning. Even if it's watching a funny like cat video together or <laughs> whatever you like and whatever you're into. Um, the idea that if you can get your kids into a happier state of mind when you drop them off, when they walk into the building, they're going to start to pull memories from school that have that positive tone to them. And it's going to make that school experience slightly more positive for them. And over time, they'll start to pull more and more positive memories and think of school as a positive place, right? And if they're constantly, if you're constantly rushing out the door and yelling at them, get your shoes on, get your shoes on, you know, like, can't believe we're having this conversation again. Then you drop them out, they go to school, right? They're going to walk in the building and they're going to be in a negative state of mind. They're going to pull those negative little memories from school too, right? It kind of, it rubs off. So, uh, I mean, that's something that I, I think of as one of, there's some things that build many coping skills and humor, laughter, and that positive state of mind is one thing that probably build at least eight of the coping skills just by doing that one thing. Yeah, I love that. Yes, great yeah. advice. Great advice. And, and I'd say it's so simple. And you like say you can have it. It's part of your armory, can't you? Because you go, oh, I've just seen yeah. this. Well, let's just do this. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really great. Yeah. Um, and is there a resource you'd like to share? And it could be anything from a podcast, a book, a video, song, but something which has had an impact, professional or personal. Oh, there's there's a lot in this space. I there's a um, a Instagram account that I love that I recommend 
to everybody. I put it on my sister's phone the other day because she tends to like have a pretty feisty parenting spirit, which is <laughs> often, um, yeah, I, I won't digress into my sister's parenting styles, but I love this. This particular Instagram account is so excellent at understanding how to parent and teach and connect with kids on a level where you're growing at the same time as they're growing and you're really taking responsibility for the relationship piece because I think ultimately teaching is a relationship, parenting is a relationship, um, and relationships are the number one thing that affect our well-being. So if you can invest a little bit of time and energy into the dynamics of the relationship that you have with this, the small people in your life, um, that will go so far in in helping them build and sustain their well-being. And just as we start to finish up, um, and this may well fit in in terms of, like you say, the, the sections or your book and everything, but FIRE as an acronym is really important for us here. And by that, we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What of those things strikes you or, or comes to your mind? Oh, um, I think like empowerment for me is is something that is underlying everything that I do. It's learning to control what you can control in a world of things that we can't always control and feeling empowered to show up for the people in your life, feeling empowered to, you know, take on difficult challenges. If there's one thing going back that I wish I had done differently as a child, I wish I was a little more brave. I wish I was a little less afraid to fail and struggle and could have really understood how valuable it is to take on those those difficult challenges no matter the outcome. I think it was just so easy to feel like taking on difficult challenges was great as long as it was reasonably assured that you were going to win and succeed yeah. at that difficult <laughs> challenge. And uh, I wish I would have known and I wish I would have done more and been more brave and more empowered to, to do that when I was a child. So yeah, fantastic. Um, and just tell us where can people find out more about you in terms of your website and, and obviously we just re reiterate the name of the book and everything again, and, and we'll, we'll have links to all this on the, on the, on the show notes as well. Yeah, our website is umbrellaproject.co.co. Um, and from there, uh, the website divides into parents and educators, and you can find all sorts of information about um, how you can build the umbrella skills in your kids. I highly recommend trying the umbrella assessment. It's on there as well. It's umbrellaproject.co slash test your umbrella. And uh, it's a great way to instantly learn what all the skills are, because I think that's a starting point is just knowing what all the skills are helps you, you know, parent for that, teach for that, do it for yourself. So um, that's a place, great place to start. Fantastic. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing those insights and that wisdom. And I love the fact that even though we sort of started talking about children and, and, and that sort of educational side of it, I think for me, it sort of, it just brings you back to yourself, like you say, in those conversations that you're having with other people actually do relate to yourself as well. And that can only help you, but also the way you show up in the world um, as well. Yeah. So thanks so much indeed. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. 
Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.